0: Hey, what's up? It's MJ. Want to snag a $100 Napa cab for 25 bucks? Wine Spies finds incredible wines at ridiculous prices. We're talking Zinfandel, Barolo, Champagne, you name it. Some of these wines are up to 75% off. It's not a club, so there's no obligation to buy. They even have a build a case option so you can mix and match wines and take advantage of free shipping on every purchase. Make sure you keep an eye out for their daily offer, because once a wine sells out, there's no guarantee it'll be back. Go ahead and check them out. You'll even get a discount by going to winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody, welcome to a very special episode of the Black Wine Guy Experience. It's our first remote episode. I had the privilege of speaking with Paul B. Wasserman, son of the iconic Becky Wasserman of Becky Wasserman & Co. Paul currently lives in Burgundy, France, which is why we were remote. So if the audio quality is not as ideal in some parts of the show, stick with us. I promise you, there are some insider gems and growing up Wasserman stories that you don't want to miss. All right. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is one of the world's foremost authorities on Burgundy and a member of the famed Wasserman family, Paul B. Wasserman. Uh, Paul is joining us from Burgundy, France today. This is our first remote guest here on the Black Wine Guy Experience, and we feel it's well worth it. Paul was just a wee lad of a year old when the Wassermans moved from Philly, that's Philadelphia, to all our friends tuning in in Burgundy because Paul's on, uh, to Burgundy. Uh, From his late teens on, Paul worked for his mother, Becky. She is the uh, celebrated Burgundy uh, exporter, importer into the United States. Uh, He moved to Los Angeles in 1994 where Burgundy was kind of frowned upon at the time. So he worked as a sales rep and was eventually hired as the French, German, and Austrian wine buyer for the Woodland Hills Wine Company, where he became known as one of the country's foremost specialists in French and German wines. He also wrote about wine for The Robb Report, Worth, and had a column in the now defunct Statement magazine. Paul returned to the family business in 2012 he manages sales for Becky Washman and Co. for the West Coast and the Mountain States, and he scouts for additions to the company's incredible portfolio of family of wineries. Welcome, Paul. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: No. You you said it all.
0: <laughs> well, I said what my producer found on you, so we'll we'll go we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Um, tell us about the wines uh, we're drinking today. So I have the white in my glass. Tell us about the wines. Okay,
1: so the white is unexpected in the sense that um, a lot of people who like Burgundy, who like northern, sort of northern northern French wines frown on the southern French wines, because we think of them as fat, oaky, rich in alcohol. And uh, two or three years ago, I went down to the Roussillon, you know, expecting to taste really great reds, and I was floored by the whites. I had no clue that they were like this at all. They have very low pHs, 3-ish, which is like, you know, Chenin from Saumur. The alcohols are super low. They're super fresh. And they're way more reminiscent of northern whites. They, uh, they're they they're delicate. They're fresh. They're energetic. And I've, we, we work with two domains uh, down there, Danjou Bansi, which you're having, and, and Rock des Anges. And their whites are just absolutely beautiful. And it was a big surprise for me. And it's always exciting to discover something. Um, You know, we're always pretentious in the wine trade saying we've discovered this. Of course, it existed. (laughs) We just didn't know about it.
0: Right. We're all like Christopher Columbus. Look what I discovered. No bitch, you walked into the domain. It would have been making a precision. You're
1: just (laughs) lucky nobody saw it before you among your competitors. But that's about the extent of the discovery you do. (laughs) Um, But they're they're so surprising. And I love them to pieces. This is Macabeur, a classic southern grape. Um, from a wonderful um, family. They're two brothers. They're very young. One is actually the spinning image of David Schwimmer, and it's hard not to think you're drinking with David Schwimmer. Um, <laughs> when you're. And he's also a brilliant blind taster, so, but it's very odd. He's like the twin brother of David Schwimmer. And they're amazing. They're brilliant farmers. They're um, very harsh conditions in the Houssillon, And they're turning out these absolutely stunning wines. I wouldn't be surprised... That with the Reds starting in the eighteen and nineteen vintage, they do become one of our cults, mm. domains, which is not a, a given for something from the Roussillon.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I'm going to have to uh, keep my eye out for these. This is actually it's very elegant, um, like you said. I, I, I uh, and I, I, I thank you for letting me know what the grape is, but it's it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful wine. Uh, and it's
1: right feels crisp right it yeah yeah like- yeah
0: it's f- it's fresh it's crisp um this is something that uh it's a warm day here like it's perfect for like i could drink this thing like all summer long you know just um paratif, but it's just freaking delicious it probably goes really well with food too i'd have to imagine
1: yeah everything you expect you know delicate crisp wines to go to uh go with so shellfish, uh, crude dough, um, on its own at 5 p.m., you know, that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> awesome. So um, I'm giving myself a little wash in my glass. Um, and then um, oof, that, was Ooh. A good, that was a good wash. Um, yep. And tell us about the red.
1: So the red is from one of our... Favorite people on the planet, David Croix, is from the Domaine des Croix, and it's a wine from Beaune. The vineyard is Les saint Vignes. Okay. And what I love about this is that four or five years ago, we would have never expected Burgundy to go down the path of, you know, the quaffable the side of natural wine. And a bunch of people have much quicker than we thought they would. And um, so. Uh, there's not a ton of whole cluster, there's about 30%, but there's very, very del- delicate extraction, um, or there's only 10% new oak. We're reducing um, sulfur a lot, this group of young people. and. Um, and so, you, you, so we're, we're starting to see a very different side of Burgundy, which is not the classic collectible, you got to age me for 10 or 15 years,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which
1: is the pop and poor side of it, which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, there's a young gang. Well, not, not everyone's young, but to me, that's kind of the gang that's really interesting to follow. And they're not necessarily coming from the great Appalachians. Mm-hmm. A couple of them are. Um, but they taste in a group. Um, there's a lot of emulation. Every generation has its, its cool kids. Uh, it, you, once upon you know the prior generation, it was Lafont, it was Rumier, it was um, Rulo was part of it. Desmet, Patrick B's, um, that gang, and they they were the first to really taste in each other's cellars and be. Very harsh with the, with each other about their wines, and and this group is David Croix, Thomas Boulet, Olivier Lamy, Charles Lachaud, Sylvain Patay, Nicolas Rossignol. They 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 um they taste together. They there's a lot of emulation. There are a lot of them working on different aspects. Um, they're pushing farming pretty far, um, looking into um. You know, very specific things. It's it's it, the sound bite is no longer organic and biodynamic. You have to look at other things like plowing, like cover crops, like uh, crops, like not um, plowing at all, like not hedging, hedging later, all of that. And um, and there we go. So we we love that group of winemakers. David is not just a brilliant winemaker, but such a nice, humble person. Um, and I think the wine is. I mean, I think people who drink natural wine would almost enjoy this.
0: Um, yeah, I, so- I don't know if you listen to the episode. So like you say natural wine, I'm like, this doesn't smell like any natural wine I've had. I mean, I get, you know, because it, be, it can be a generic term. But man, I could see we're going to have to have you back on. You're, you're going deep. You're talking about not even plowing and hedging and not hedging. I mean, like we, we only have so much time here. But like I, I, that's a rabbit hole that, that needs to be explored. I mean, Wow.
1: Yeah, I'll just say this. If Burgundy is going to be this expensive, they need to have the greatest farming on the planet. And um, certainly the domains that you know we care about and our competitors care about, we're we're talking about the you know 10, 15 top percent of Burgundy. But there are people looking much further right now um, into that. And and I believe it's it's their duty at these prices to to just farm more and better um and think about everything and this group i have huge respect for because they're actually doing that
0: nice nice so i love this um because i i don't know shit about burgundy you know um because it's i mean you know probably because i'm lazy um but uh <laughs> but um thank you for giving me some lessons here and uh now that i now that i got you now that i have your skype number oh buddy i got you I'm hmm. um, gonna have to come over there and hang all right so um, like I said there's so much to discuss today um, but let's begin with um, growing up in France being born into a, uh, a family whose business is wine and whose mother is like a pioneer we're in Women's History Month like your mother is like a uh, a, a grand dame of the wine business what was that like
1: it was well. It didn't start out that way. My mom got into uh, the wine business in '79. I was 13. Uh, but once my parents moved to France, they were immediately um, into wine and food. Um, they had been before, already in Philadelphia. My mom was a great cook. They were already drinking wine, and um, when they moved here, there was just it was just wonderful for them. Um, their friends quickly became the De Villens from DRC, uh, um, Jacques Sess, Ro- Jacques and Rosalind Sess from Dujac, um, the Rulos, um, the De Maltese, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they happen to actually befriend very, very, very good
0: winemakers. <laughs> yeah, to, to say, to say the least, uh, um, for, I do have some listeners who are beginners. So just kind of tell people like how you would, uh, if you could describe like, those those families like
1: well at the time you know this was um 68 so starting in 68 so at the time there were there were only a handful of domains that that were really producing insane wine um and and these were among the best including you know in appellations that weren't prestigious at the time which was volney the De Montes um but um, you know, very principled people making just stunning wines. And so the cellar was pretty much full of that. And people, all the winemakers loved to come to the house, chefs and also chefs. You know, it was it very quickly became known as a place where you ate and drank well and, and were welcome. Um, so that's how it started. Um, I'll, I'll be somber for two seconds and then I'll, I'll go in and out of this. But, um, my father was a complicated person. He was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. So, you know, he's kind of the guy that could suck out all the joy out of a room, like a dementor or something. And my mother started the business basically to get away from him Mm, mm. um, out of necessity. Um, okay. Close the door on that. So it was, very idyllic in the sense that it's a beautiful region. The countryside's gorgeous. The old houses are gorgeous. The food and wine was great. But, you know, like every family, there were some darker sides that yep, yep, yep. Are, are, are not. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And fortunately, because that's how my mom started the business.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I always, you know, I my mother always said, like, you, you got to find the good in situations. So, I mean, but I mean, who knows what would happen? happened. So it, it, it's, it's, I, I don't know what it's like to grow up in that household. Uh, like you said, all families have stuff. Um, but, uh, the, the, the good is that, uh, your mother started this business, um, you know, um, and, 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 um, what, what So it was, 1979. You said she uh, actually started the business.
1: She started the business and um she first sold barrels actually to American wineries. So Francois Frere, um the the now famous Cooper. Um and um so she's she's she sold barrels to a lot of you know the, the good American wineries of the time in Napa, Oregon mostly. And um once she was over there, people were starting to ask her, you know. Do you know some Domaine bottled Burgundies because a lot of the wines that showed up were bottled by negociants who bought wines or at the time it was more about buying wine than grapes actually. So they'd buy wine from smaller growers blended in their cuvées and people were interested in Domaine bottled Burgundy and of course she did. Um, one of our first customers was Kermit Lynch actually. Um, and from there, it, it grew from there, basically. Um, at one point, her book was not only Burgundy. She was in partnership with a company called Herbvan. And I think she probably had a wine from every appellation in France. And the Rhone side of the book was absolutely insane. It had had all the greats. It had, you know, it had Klopp. I'm not sure it had Tola, uh, but, you know, that that gang was in there. There were some Spanish wines, La Rioja Alta, I think wow. Vegas Sicilia at the time.
0: Wow, wow,
1: wow, wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And uh, when that partnership ended, she focused on Burgundy and Grower Champagne.
0: Okay, okay. And so, like, you're growing up there, you're seeing your mom do this, and selling barrels that's crazy that's awesome um and you mentioned uh negotiant wine, so we're talking like you're talking like um Jadot type wines right like a jado yeah. yeah yeah uh bouchard yeah, pair
1: include jado and drew one and people like that but there was you know there's a lot of bad negotiant wines too
0: um
1: showing up in the u.s
0: yeah 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 no for sure um for sure so um now, it's, you went to high school and everything in, in, in Burgundy, France, uh, I take it? No,
1: I went to – well, I went to school in the local – well, I want to say – when it's, you know, like uh, preschool and middle school in the local village. Okay. Um, from schoolhouse, then down to Beaune. Um, and then when I was about 12, I, I decided to go to boarding school.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: The going was getting rough between my mom. Both Peter and I kind of begged to go to boarding school. So we wanted, we wanted to get out of Dodge. And um, so that's what we did. We So I finished high school there. Um, then went to college in Paris, but very briefly.
0: Okay. What was, what was so? Let's back up. What was it like to go to college in Paris? Just, albeit very briefly, a young man. In, you know. I, so,
1: I was. I graduated from high school at sixteen. I was in college at sixteen, and I was um, very immature. Um, Paul, I'm and, immature
0: now. I'm 52. So
1: yeah, I'm, can... I'm, I'm immature too, but at the time I was... 16, I'm immature. I get it. <laughs> I, 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 did, I didn't choose the right course of studies. I, I went to study economics, believing it was the economics I was studying in high school, which was more the history of economics, and it ended up being business management, which is really not my thing. So I, I, I lasted you know, just under a year. And um, so that was the end of all the family dreams of academia because, you know, (laughs) I I was off to a good start, but it it came crashing down really abruptly. And then I went to work for my mom. And then at some point I went back to
0: music school and did sort of both at the same time. Okay, so uh, 17 years old, 18 years old, you go to work for your mom. What does she have you doing?
1: A lot of Taking customers around and translating. So it's basically tasting in the cellars. And that started when we were teens, you know, as child labor, my brother and I really. <laughs> um, um, but it, it was a tiny company. And when she needed us, I mean, I started translating cellars when I was 12 or 13, which, you know, was fun. Um, and because a lot of it were, was for the barrel customers, we, um, you know, we were we were going to taste the DRC and translating Four winemakers and it was, it was good.
0: It was fun. Yeah, that's but not, it, you know, it's fun. tasting that DRC at twelve, thirteen. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't suck. That is so glad you're here. This is definitely a unique experience. Um, so, um so you're doing that. So you, so you mentioned you went uh, to music school. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, expand on that how'd you end up, how'd you end up from economics to music school
1: uh, well, economics was just the wrong thing i mean had i studied history or had i gone to uh, you know uh, journalism or I, i'd probably my life would have been taken my life would have taken a very different path because i did enjoy studying um but um something as concrete as um accounting and business management and stats i was good in math but i i didn't care about accounting or things like that at the time um so just wrong wrong choice my parents were preoccupied with their divorce at the time they didn't really pay attention and i sort of threw a a dart in the dartboard and said okay that's what i'm going to do basically i had a friend that was doing that and i was like okay i'll go do the same um that's how i ended up in law school (laughs) And then the music idea. still is interesting. I, uh, I, you know, when I was sixteen and starting to be a little bit of a goofball and going out with friends, um, um, the we had a. My father was an artist, and he had a studio here, and he'd he'd left, and um, so there was this space. So we decided to. To start a band, and I played piano, so I had a little electrical keyboard. But I was—I really wasn't happy with it. But they, the the two others, left the drums and the bass here. And one day, I, I just went over and picked up the bass, and that was it. To me, that was what I wanted to do. So, um, so I played the bass a lot. I went to music school. I worked part time for my mom. Um, went to live in. Um, in Champagne with somebody who had a studio, went to London, and eventually made my way to LA with my bass and lots of dreams. Like <laughs> most people, go to LA. Not a an original story. Either.
0: No, but it, it is original because it's yours. But but that's so I, I like this. He's like I I I, I was tasting at DRC, and then you know, and then I you know I picked up a bass, and then. I moved to Champagne with my base, and then to London and then I was in LA.
1: Yep, pretty much. I I was very shy. I had to kick myself to leave France and go to LA again. I picked that, you know, I just went, okay, that's where I'm going. And, um, and so, you know, the DRC thing sounds fun, but when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, all the trivia talk bored me to death.
0: Yeah, you know? no, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. We were we were very polite. We
1: helped mom cook and clear, you know, clear the dishes and sat, you know, at the dinner table. But we were bored. Uh, you know, like there there wasn't this detailed winemaking talk, or it was I don't know. It was a, it was different back then. I, I found it all very boring. I liked the tasting part
0: well yeah no i mean i mean no and even even that like you know i love you know i like to have this show be a mix of you know of uh some wine geekdom but really it's just we're sharing a bottle of wine and telling stories and and i could see i mean like a 13 like a 14 like i mean first of all drc yes it was the greatest it's the greatest domain in burgundy but they weren't pulling down those type of prices it wasn't that i could see it not it wasn't it wasn't like, this is like a $10,000 bottle of wine. Like that, that might perk you up if you're 13, you know what I mean? But like back then it was yep. just like, yep. this is just a vulnerable producer of really good wine, you know? And you're like, I'm 13. <laughs> what am I doing what? here?
1: Yeah. And so I show up in LA and nobody likes Burgundy
0: at the time. Yeah. What was that about? Why, why did no one like Burgundy?
1: Um, so I showed up in LA in 94 and you know, the United States had found the the consumer or the collector, rather, had found its voice. Robert Parker, and you know, to a certain extent, the Wine Spectator, maybe Steve Tanzer, but um, but certainly um, Parker liked a different kind of wines. He liked big wines, and Burgundy was not big, and and so this it, 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 people people didn't find it trustworthy. Um, And it just, it just wasn't popular. It, it, it started getting popular again in, in the late nineties. So, you know, five, six years later, it, it really started to, to get popular again. I have one funny story is my second job in LA, I was working in a, in a store in Beverly Hills that had somewhat of a celebrity clientele. And, you know, they'd come in and I wasn't really allowed to handle celebrities, but sometimes, sometimes I did.
0: Normally, I was supposed to call the owner, and it was like you know. like that scene in Caddyshack. We 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 have a pool and a pond. A pond would be better for you. Like like you, you stay over here. <laughs> right. So
1: yeah. if a celebrity you know comes in, don't don't. But you know, don't engage.
0: <laughs> they
1: were they were busy, so I got to. And I always remembered that um, Donald Sutherland coming in and buying Bordeaux and. And um, I asked him if he liked Burgundy, and he and he he got actually pretty angry. he got pretty angry. He says no, <laughs> Burgundy makes me angry. And you know with that deep voice yeah. of his, no. it was yeah, it was God telling me he didn't it like <laughs> my friends? You know, it was. <laughs> but that was kind of the you know the thought about Burgundy at the time. He said
0: uh, no. That's. <laughs> burgundy makes me angry with that, with that d bar that 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 annotation like he was delivering yeah. a line in a movie right yeah exactly like the, the music came in dun 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 no <laughs> burgundy makes me angry um so <laughs> oh my god so i want to go that is a very funny story i want to go back to um Something you said just a moment ago, and that the collector had found its voice, and in Robert Parker. Now, now at one point, I remember wasn't he banned from Burgundy? Like they were like, "Don't come to Burgundy." Now he was really banned, but he was not. He was he was persona non grata. I understand.
1: He was. I mean, the um, the only problem with Parker, uh if I make a slight detour, is he he really had a personal beef against Burgundy, and when. When um, say Bordeaux produced a, just an okay or you know mediocre vintage, he was you know he'd pick out the good wines and say okay it's not great but maybe you should look at that. Well, as soon as Burgundy you know failed in his opinions, the the, the language was actually violent, accusatory. It was a, it was a whole different um, borderline abusive. I mean, it, it was a whole different thing. So. Um, he tasted wines from Favele. Now, you know, the Faveleys are honest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you, sometimes people may, at that time, may have found the wines a little structured. But what he said was something along the lines that what he had tasted in France is not what he had tasted in the U.S. And he hinted at, you know some sort of fraud going on. And uh, Mr. Favley was a very wealthy man, and he said, uh, okay. So he took him to court wow. for and won, and the damages were one franc. It was really symbolic. Wow. And um, and um, uh, Mr. Parker, yes, decided not to come back to Burgundy and hired uh, Pierre Rovani to do the reviews for him. Um,
0: there we go. Awesome. And, uh, I love the inside scoop on this stuff. Um, so, so is it safe to say, cause we've, I've heard that like to have a seat at your mother's table, like you, you mentioned early, I mean, even when they first arrived and first arrived in France, but like, like it, it's, it's the stuff of legends for anyone who loves Burgundy. I, I take it. Mr. Parker's never sat at that table.
1: Oh yes, he did. And, oh, wow. uh, up to the mid eighties. Um, I mean, he, he, um, he didn't have much time to hang. He would, he would come in and, uh, taste 200 wines and leave, um, would line up. I, I remember lining, lining a bunch of wines up for him when I was 16 or 17 and seeing him go through them at a, at an incredible speed and saying thank you and leaving, you know?
0: Damn. Uh, Damn, Bobby. I would have hung out, man. Yeah, that's me though. Yeah. That's just me. Um. Um, so let's, I want to, I want to stay here for a second. So like, uh, who, who's, uh, who's been at that table? Like, obviously you mentioned the, you know, the people from DRC and other play, but who's been at that? Obviously I would say, say Kermit, Kermit Lynch's dine with your family.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting on Kermit's lap and at the piano out of vague memory. Um, yeah, Kermit, I mean, pretty much. Everybody in the wine trade, and and you know some other fun people, chefs, um, politicians, um,
0: writers. Uh, it's it's name names. Drop some names, man. Drop some names. <laughs>
1: um, nah. He's like, uh, nah. <laughs> nah. Um,
0: I love how humble you are, though. Seriously, I do. But, like it.
1: But never, you know. I mean, everybody in wine just. Well, I mean, not everybody, of course. That's absurd, but a lot of people in wine, you know, all, all, all the old guard. Um, whether Ah Stephen Spurrier, who just passed away, yeah, who wow, was, wow. Uh, who was a very good family friend and at the house very often. Um, but all of them: Hugh Johnson, Broadbent, um, Chelichef was amazing. Who you know was the legendary winemaker for BV um he was so moving and i you know i remember dinners um where all the burgundians would come and just drink up what he had to say because he was just a very humble emotional i mean he had very strong opinions but um he he was an inspiration um a, a lot of them, the american wineries of of that time whether um zelma long of course the whole gang in Argon, the letts and ponzies and Cattle signs and you know, the the beginning of the very serious wine there. Um, um and pretty much every writer, um, and great chefs. We were very good friends with the girl brothers. Richard only came by the house and I remember him taking me in the garden and explaining, you know, how to pick the Um yeah it was it was it, it was a house that drew people that were into food and wine and then of course the people that just liked it that weren't necessarily in the trade
0: yeah yeah no that's awesome that's awesome thanks for sharing that with us so um you're in la and um nobody's liking burgundy but like what was your like when you first uh got a job in the wine business like wh- what was that first job was it were you like front of the house back of that what, what was your first gig
1: Actually. No, I was a I was a stock boy. I I swept floors. I had a little apron on. I learned how to gift wrap. Um, I learned how that you know that blue was for Hanukkah and green and red was for Christmas. Um, I can still wrap a case of wine like a making a, a you know a bed in the army. Um, <laughs> I, I stocked the cold box. Occasionally, I was dragged out of the back. It was a it was a, a store in Los Angeles mm-hmm. Valley, which. You know, I mean something people know Los Angeles and it's called the Duke of Bourbon. And they basically sold California wine, but he knew who my mother was. So occasionally he'd trot me out, you know, from the back. I know your saying, mom was
0: go sweep the floor. <laughs> I
1: love it. <laughs> well, well, that was it. He'd, he'd, he'd trot me out from the back and, and say, this is the son of Becky Wasserman. Of course, he was introducing me to a California Cabernet collector who was just, <laughs> you know look me up and down and not even understand what the Duke was saying so I felt put on display and I was I was much happier with my glue gun in the back um, then I went into retail in Beverly Hills that you know place that had a few celebrities and then I I left that and for a long time I was a sales rep you know I did uh, I worked uh, you know one of the great things I worked for Rudy Vist for two years and that really cemented my love of Riesling and German wines. I worked for some of my mom's importers. I worked for, you know, I I sold geeky wine around LA for a long time as a sales rep. And then I was hired by Woolen Hills Wine Company to um, become their French, German, and Austrian buyer. And that was awesome. It was, at the time, I think one of the greatest stores in the country. Um, without a doubt, We um, I was left to do whatever I wanted as far as purchasing. Um, and you know, we, I immediately started bringing in cause they were pretty score driven when I walked in. Yep. Yep. Um, but I was allowed to, you know, if it sold, they said, go ahead. So we did a lot of, We did the. It was basically one of the in top three Burgundy stores in the country. We did amazing with Northern Italian, California, um, Germany, Austria. It was it was very geeky. It was just before, you know, all the regional wines became popular again, in great part thanks to the natural wine movement. Um, But we did the Loire, the Jura was nothing then. I remember bringing in six bottles of Vinjon from Poufnay and hearing about it for a year from the store owners because it wouldn't sell. <laughs> but it was a great it was a great time. We still could get, you know, early nineteenth century madeiras for you know maybe a hundred and fifty wholesale. we we could taste everything in, in the one vintage you know, normal people, like me as a retail salesperson, another friend of mine who worked there, and some, some of our customers that were normal, not like the big whales, but normal people really loved this stuff. We would go out every week and would line up twelve bottles, but everything we wanted from Burgundy. meunier Musigny was 150 bucks. Rousseau Claude Bez was 150 bucks. Um, six of us we could share these wines. I mean, occasionally we would throw in latache or something. Mm-hmm. It was it was a, a crazy, really, really good time to learn. Taste your way around, you know, Germany and Piedmont and Austria and Burgundy and the Rhone and grower Champagne. I was I was a big Terry Tees fan uh, in those days, both for all three of the things he did: um, Champagne, Austrian, and German. Um, it was right before the slightly geekier low dosage things came out. Yeah, uh, but we could also. Fine wine wasn't selling super well. I remember cleaning out um, a big distributor from all their salon, 88 and 90, because it was just sitting there. Nobody could sell it. Um, and I was stacked on the floor cases of 88, which I absolutely is probably one of my favorite champagne vintages, for not a lot of money. I think it was it was, it was under 100 bucks. maybe. 90 bucks and there was stacks of it you could i in 01 i had stacks of fourier and Barteau from rosenthal i mean it was still at a time where you not many people were that interested and you could get a lot of wine you know so it was fun it was great it was a
0: great time yeah sounds as if i mean that's bananas um i always remember salon champagne there was a movie with john kuzak in the 80s where he drops out of college he becomes like a political operative and like he had a case of salon and i was like i gotta have that champagne <laughs> really okay yeah i I'm, well that that was good taste yeah what what um see if you could find that lonnie uh kuzak movie political operative um just trying to remember but uh yeah that was that's and I was not even into wine then. I think that was like late '80s, early '90s that movie came out. But I was like, I was like, well, that must be really good stuff. It's in a John Kuzak movie, like, right? That that would mean it would have to be great champagne. But turns out it really is. And it's just funny, like you said, how um, you said floor stacks, like people couldn't sell it, and nope. and and, and um, you know what? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pause right there. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back, and I want to unpack that with you, why you think these wines were selling. So we're going to take a quick break, everybody, and we'll be right back. If you follow me on social media, you know I love discovering and drinking new and exciting labels and winemakers. The Wine Spies offer wines like Single Vineyard Tempranillo from Amador County, Single Vineyard Mount Viter Zen from Peter Frannis. If you don't know who he is, now you know. Wine Spies has been gathering intel since 2007, so these guys are really connected in the biz, and that's how they can offer so many great deals. I love their locker feature. It lets you build a case over time, so you can check out with just one bottle and avoid shipping charges. They have a top-notch tasting panel, so I can rely on the wines to be great every time, which lets me play around and discover more. The Spies always take care of me, so, if I'm not 100% happy with a the wine, they'll make it right. And just for the listeners of my show, there's a special Black Wine Guy Experience URL discount code for $10 off your first order when you sign up at winespies.com forward slash Guy. Okay, we're back. So, we were talking about floor stacks of so Salon 88 and 90. Um, why do you think it was so hard um, to get people to try, I mean, objectively, and like you said, you were, you were, you were into Rieslings and Gruners and other grower champagnes. Like, why was it so hard to get people to try these wines? Why was it so hard to move them in the market?
1: It was dominated by the press. So, um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very simple answer. It was dominated by the press and, um, the press wasn't, you know, they, they weren't looking at wines like that, even Salon back in the days. and Or they weren't making Champagne fun and popular. They didn't like Burgundy. Um, they liked, you know, the modern Piedmont wines, not the classics. So they didn't like Rinaldi. They didn't like Mascarello. They didn't like, um, they did like Jacosa Brown label. But um, it was, and so... But it was really good for us. The few the few stores around the country that said, you know, screw it. We're going to do what we want and what we believe in. Um, it was great because all these wines were available. And we, you know, we, we, we turned people on to old school Piedmont or um, – and, you know, just a, a huge array of burgundy. And it, it was, you know, they took interest in Germany every – 20 years so when 01 came out that actually that was a huge um we sold a lot of German wine so we, I mean we have to thank them sometimes so what happened in the case of Burgundy and Champagne is that specialist reviewers finally came out and um to support it in our case it was in Burgundy's case it was um, Alan Meadows okay. and actually Alan Meadows happened to live in the same um um, in the same neighborhood as the the woodland Hills wine company was in so we we used to do all of our we used to put on tastings educational tastings on burgundy and you know there's there was a great synergy there because um, but he he was very instrumental in 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 helping burgundy sales there was somebody who took it seriously who reviewed it widely it wasn't a footnote um, in you know in um in a newsletter. So it helped a lot. It was also the beginning of Wine Searcher. So if you had the right wine at a decent price, people would find you.
0: Yeah, I do. I do. I don't have a pro, but I do enjoy Wine Searcher, you know, because someone can throw out a wine and, you know, um, that is, that is some good that has come from the internet. Um, uh, But so, so, um, you're still at Woodland Hills, right? So how long were you at Woodland Hills total? Um,
1: ninety. It was ninety nine through two thousand and early two thousand five, I think. Okay. So like
0: five six years, five six years. Okay. And and then where'd you go to next after the Woodland Hills Wine Company? Hmm. Well, so there's the Rudy story. Oh, right. So, cause that that would be um, that would. OK. All right. Yeah, that would be around that time. Sure. Yeah.
1: So Rudy, I mean, the first time I saw Rudy, he was just this I mean, he looked underage. He walks in the store and everybody's falling on him because, you know, he dropped a little money and I didn't pay attention to him because I mean, I noticed him. I didn't pay attention to him because he was really into California
0: cabs and Australian, you know, hundred point wines and the big big and, big fruit bombs like yep, Australis and all that all that stuff yeah yeah uh,
1: that's what he was drinking and then a few months later he um he um, he shows up in um in a burgundy uh, tasting group invited by someone and um and he's very he's very nice. He's very shy. And he's actually making really pertinent comments about wine, like more pertinent than a lot of the other people that were there. And, um, so I liked him because of that. And we, we, you know, became phone buddies and he, uh, a few months later, he's calling me up, asking me about, you know, normal stuff. Um, you know, vintage of D, vintages of DRC, like in the '90s and the '80s, nothing crazy. And um, and then suddenly he's showing up with bottles from the '40s, the '30s, and um, you know, the whole Rudy thing begins. Um, but at some point. Woolen Hills was a family-run company, and you know I, I, I need to do something else. So I was looking for investors to start a store,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, Rudy stepped up. So I did open a store for Rudy. Um, it took a while, um, and as soon as we opened um, – um, well, the shit hit the fan. Uh, it was the Ponceau thing. We opened in, I think, early 2008. Okay. And then the ponceau thing happened there were then there were structural um structural issues at the store and um it was a mess he he didn't finance it properly um it was basically a big storage facility it, it, and there were there were beautiful architectural plans it was supposed to be this very ambitious gorgeous tasting room it was it really it it, it was an old beautiful old art deco uh, building but things started to go south and um and basically i didn't see him very much and i stuck around for about a year and a half because he had bought the business he had put a little money into it but not enough to make it survive and then i just left um a year before he got arrested i think um and uh but he was i mean you know he's obviously a complex human being but um he was generous. He was funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was an absolutely brilliant taster. Um, really, really gifted. Um, I don't know. What do you want to know?
0: No, I mean because I think I think uh, you know a lot of people just um, see that movie Sour Grapes and just think. Um, how could these people be taken? I mean, but like you grew up around this stuff. I mean, like you said, this guy went into high level groups and like you said, he's making pertinent comments. I mean, he obviously did have a love for wine and, and a, some knowledge, correct?
1: He was, you know, he had a lot of knowledge, uh, but that's easy to acquire. What's not that easy to acquire is a brilliant palate. And he was truly a a great taster. I, You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, some some psalms that are known to taste blind really well. Rudy was amazing. He could do the pony tricks like, you know, no one else. Um, But um, he was really into wine. In the beginning, I'd drag him to German truck and baron house laser tastings. I mean, he wasn't messing around. He'd come. Um, And I don't know when the the whole fraud thing started or – but that wasn't – the original Rudy, the original Rudy, was just a total wine nut with the means to, and we tasted extraordinary things, and of course a lot of fake wine as well. Some of it, some of which we noticed, and some of which we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was, you know, in the beginning, it was very much a catch me if you can kind of story. Okay, uh, he was really passionate even about what he was creating, um, and he'd buy old wine to create. Um, these things and what he was always very what he was always very respectful of was the character of the vintage i think that's that's the way that he bust down the that's the way he conned some of the more knowledgeable people is mm. that there was always um in his fakes a um a respect there was a respect of something there and it, it, in general with him it was the vintage um and so you know if you 62 is an insane vintage in 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 burgundy mm-hmm. um, um but if you put a great 62 in a bottle as a baseline and then tell people it's so and so i mean 62 is you know it's very very special so if you get that 62
0: if you get the essence of. of 62 in the bottle, you're like, oh, yes, right? It's like it had you're, enough.
1: You're, you're, you're 75% of the way there in believing, and your brain will do, you know, the last 25%, which it probably shouldn't, but that's easy to say in retrospect, you know? Right, right. Um, um, anyway, he. I mean, he. You know, he is a con, and con people are, are clever, and uh, he was good. I think he was very passionate about I think he was even passionate about his fakes. Um, but, like – other people too. I mean, you know, I'm, with confinement, I'm watching a lot of, you know, true crime on Netflix, and I saw this guy doing, you know, fake Mormon um, history papers. I mean, amazing. And, and it reminded me of Rudy, and then there was this other person doing fake forgeries for art. I saw the, you know, art forgeries another day. I mean, they're. they're
0: I think kind I saw that one. My life. wife. It was. It was out in Queens. Yeah, that was a huge one. Yeah, yeah.
1: They were they were in love. They were in love with their their subject. They were truly true fans. I think by the time so we we didn't by the time he opened the store we weren't friends anymore. Um, so I as much as I knew him well and I was you know running a store that belonged to him we didn't talk very much and um, I wasn't even at the Pulso dinner in Los Angeles even though it was literally five minutes away from the store he didn't invite me to that. Uh, the store was a money pit and never made money um i mean you know everything was investigated by the fbi and things like that i mean it's um it 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 never it never sold you know what auction houses sold it wasn't that kind of a place it was a storage facility with a neighborhood geeky wine store basically gotcha
0: yeah i mean he's uh he's an interesting character for sure i mean uh, it sounds as if i mean i just it's yeah i think i think um and people don't know uh you know when say you hear con man it actually the original it's confidence man so they gain your confidence right they, they gain people's confidence and that's how they're able to do it so like somebody said like you know he he knew enough about a vintage to put enough in the bottle and then you know and and Like you said, like our brain, I forgot what it's called because I'm not a psychologist, but our brain wants to be right. So it's going to it's going to link up and go, oh, yeah, you know, uh, that did happen in 62. And oh, look at the cork. So you, you find reasons for it to to be okay, you know.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in my case, suspension of disbelief, it was the recession. I I I. You know, had one in my you know a project that I was running for a long time, but there there were signs in retrospect that I should have um, seen as far as you know the 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 cleanliness of the labels bugged me. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, a lot of what he forged was from the French wine merchant Nicolas, and I asked somebody I trusted in in the wine trade in France said, "Why are you know are these?" And he said, "Yeah, the sellers Nicola are very dry, so the labels will not be clean. So you get that confirmation from the outside." You things. I I felt bad when I. So the store was under finance, so we we we. Um, so I had time on my hands, so I started really delving into everything that was being said, and I found some hilarious things, um, but. I also can never find some of the bottles he sold, uh-huh. and especially in Bordeaux. And that I, I poured over auction catalogs, and I'm like, okay, there is no, there really isn't no, I, I mean, there 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 is no Pomerol from you know the '40s. There's no there's no Petrus from the '40s and mags. I I looked. At every catalog, and that's the you know I could find some older Rumiers. I could I could find plenty of old Russo, old DRC that existed in auction catalogs or in old retail catalogs from paper and so my, the the Bordeaux just weren't there, the the right bank Bordeaux weren't there. And then it's not that I believed he was a faker. I just went, okay, this is not sitting right with me. So I that that was, and I kind of had figured out. Also on my own, kind of who he was and that's when I kind of left I uh, I made the connection to the banking um, scandal in Indonesia okay. um, which is which is interesting because you know everybody thinks this is a a fake wine story but I mean I, I would assume it's a money laundering story
0: mm. mm-hmm mm hmm
1: Bill Coke, I, if my memory serves me correct, in the big Acker auction of 2006, I think bought $3 million worth of wine. He proved, and he had everybody looking at it, I think that about 300000 worth was fake, so that's 10%. Yeah. Um, which, if you take that as a data point,
0: you know, um, maybe it was more about money laundering than it was about fake wine. Wow, that could make sense. Because I mean what I mean what's the what's the percentage run on corked bottles? Do you know?
1: Um it's getting lower. It's you sometimes you hear about two percent.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you hear five, but it's somewhere around there. Right. You know. So I mean it's it's not it's not out of whack. Yeah, and that knowing, you know, after seeing knowing the family history with the bank and they it it seems like um that's a good good supposition. You are a very smart man, a very learned man, at least very think a thinking man. Um, so how was what was your actual exit? Um, did, did were you there? Did the FBI raid the store and you were there, or had you exited um, beforehand?
1: Was, no, um, I had left in fully. I I I went down to one day a week in 2010 because I'd hired another guy and I wanted him him to have one day off. So I I just went in on I think Sundays and just. Um, manned the store it was a you know it was a two person operation and then in 11 I, I left and I'm, I'm in I think 2012 winter of 2012 just before he got arrested I, I have a friend of mine that calls me from the US and he says the FBI wants to talk to you which is never a <laughs>
0: it's a call you don't want to get
1: <laughs> you're happy to get and you know my stomach I kind of sank in my heels and um, and I got back to Los Angeles and I, 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 called the the agent in question and, you know, about two weeks later, he said, eh, I'd like to talk to you. And, um, and, uh, I went to the federal building and it, you know, they, they, it very, it was total movie. Um, you know, they could have been cast out of, a central casting thing. yeah <laughs> yeah um, he was very tall very well dressed very handsome very sharp she was, she was also uh, she was a Latina woman she was they're super sharp super polite super you know they don't let anything through they're very nice right um and they just ask questions and i you know told them everything they wanted to know about the store which was basically you know um I think there were two sales that went through the store that could have been on those kinds of lines, and they were tiny compared to what you know was being brandished. So I told them about that. and I mean I literally stood – it was like an hour interview maybe longer, and I just literally stood there and said, I think you have the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> three, three weeks later, <laughs> boom. Um, yeah, I was in disbelief. You know, I, I, I saw some fakes, not all of them. I mean, I'm sure he calmed you know, there are a lot of wines I believed in that weren't real, but um, I always thought he had, he had been taken, not that he was producing them. Um, And um, there you go. But I mean, you know, in the last two or three years, I hardly saw him
0: Um, in the
1: beginning. I did and went to the dinners and things like that. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, man, thanks for. Uh, being willing to talk about that. So then, what was your. So that was, like you said, 2012, we got to. So then. It was just time to go back to Burgundy. What happened? What, what made you you're like? You're like let, me, let me get out of here. What's the extradition treaty between no, France? No, 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 no. No. no,
1: I mean, you know, the. I mean, honestly, the, you know, the, the, the government looked at every. No, I, I
0: believe you. Yeah. And,
1: and there was, nothing, there was nothing there. It lost money. It was not a, a front for Rudy. And there was no doubt or question about that. Um, you know, it, it was it was it was almost giving him money rather than you know. Um, no, actually, he was putting he was putting a ton of money into it. He was losing money. I didn't even understand it. Anyway, um, I really loved retail. Okay. I loved retail because it allowed me to deal with you know.
0: And I want to agree with you, people. Retail is one of the best. Places to be in the wine business—you actually get to talk to the consumer, the real consumer, you know—and and, and you, you do get to enter and you do get to interact with the sales reps, and then they bring around you know the producers. But like you are, you are, you're, your ears to the pulse of the ground when you do retail. I love retail.
1: Yeah. I love retail. I was very happy in retail. I I got to discover and get good at you know every region I chose to become you know involved in and. Um, I like to curate for my, my customers and, and, and things like that. And I had, you know, opinions and I was really curating and, um, it was hard for me to, to decide. So I was, I, I briefly thought, I mean, I did other things. I published an out of print book. I, um, what's the name of your out
0: of print book? We can, let's revive it. Let's, let's, let's like make people pay like $500 on eBay for it.
1: No, it's called Bouquet. Um, it's written by a, a wonderful woman called G.B. Stern, and it's a hilarious book written in 1927 um, about a tour of um, France with two couples. One of them likes Bordeaux. One of them likes Burgundy. They bicker all the time about what's better. There's a beautiful feminist rant in it in She's, she was a My producer there.
0: wants the movie rights. <laughs> She,
1: she was a very, very gifted writer. Uh, she was a friend of Noel Coward. She was a playwright. She was, and it was. It's just a lovely book. We we produced um, a friend of mine called Karen Caesar, and I just reprinted a, a a pretty version. It's got a silkscreen cover. Cover. We hired an illustrator. It was printed in the U.S. not um, not elsewhere on nice paper, nice ink. Anyway, I did that. We. Um, And then I was um, starting to, uh, you know, work part time for the family company. And then I realized that I could bring something to the family company, which was basically their their switch into other regions because Burgundy was starting to climb. I'd gone from a store that was, you know, had a 10,000 square foot. Um, Woodland Hills Wine Company that had a 10,000 square foot footprint full of wine Mm -hmm. where Wasserman was a big part of what I did to a smaller neighborhood store where most of the 10,000 square feet was storage. And I realized that our family company was not that useful to me um, because I needed loire. I needed, you know, I needed other kinds of wines and my shelf space was limited for the for the more collectible lines. and and that was the um, that was what I thought I could bring. I had to ask permission. It's not like I walked back in. There was a team in place, mm-hmm. um, um, so I said, "Can I please
0: come home? I think I can. I think I can do something that would be interesting." And and let and, me. I'm gonna stop for a second because I I think so many people now in this world, like in the social media world, and 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 with the rise of the psalm movies and people. You know, you are a burgundy expert. Do you have any Wisset or any other, any type of degrees that say you're a burgundy expert? But clearly you're a burgundy expert. Do you have any pieces of paper that say that?
1: No. Right. I tried. I tried. In 2001, I signed up for um, the Master of Wine and um, went up to the, um, whatever, the the first meeting in Napa. And... um, and I forget who it was. They they kept on repeating through, through the introductory course or whatever it was that, to remember that they were not masters of fine wine. They were masters of wine, and um, it made me think. So I I decided at some point that I wanted to become a geek i didn't want to know about every wine in the world there were regions that did not interest me the economics you know how many cases of yellowtail was moving around it was not what i wanted to do mm-hmm. at that time i wasn't into studying farming or wine making that much i was about tasting i was about forming my opinion of wine regions i was a you know um and not you know not just high-end wine but i i, I love you know brilliant um wines of any any class but but um I've got a palette that's you know European uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, tends to be northern European um so I don't want to know about everything so I decided to become a specialist I wrote a couple essays for the MW and decided it wasn't for me um I don't regret not pursuing it and probably would have failed because it requires an astounding amount of discipline and I'm not sure I have that. <laughs> what,
0: what, 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 what year were you born? 68? Is it? 66. 66, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. Yeah, as, as 60s kids, we don't have a lot of that. I don't know why. Nope.
1: So, yes, I asked permission to come back in to the family company and do my thing, which was, you know, we, we need other wines. And um, they said, yep. Yeah. And, um, I was living in LA and, um, so I, it was natural for me to take care of the West coast. So I did that and, um, started scouring France for other domains and I, that's the, that's the dream job to me. Um, um, honestly driving, driving in France, listening to podcasts or jazz or whatever kind of music, um, in the middle of nowhere and going to see somebody for the first time. And you know, the thief goes into the barrel and that's the moment of truth and you're alone. And I mean, often I'm alone and you're alone and you're going to like, and you've heard about the person. You've never tasted the wines. Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you already know, but sometimes you don't. And, um, the thief goes into the barrel and that's the moment of truth. You know, it's you, the wine, whatever impression you have of the people and though I was annoyed at first not to be in the retail thing because I could do whatever wine I wanted if right. I wanted to work with that producer I could right. if I wanted to work with this other producer I could so it was a little annoying at first but I realized that we're we're getting married with the producers like this is we're we're in for the long term it's a very noble I mean, we're in, and it's going to be complicated. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, I, I've, you know, it's a big responsibility. Um, it's not, um, um, it's not parasitic. You know, we're not we're not getting the greatest score at the lowest price, or always trying to sell the most Instagrammable wine. We're not going after those things, we're mm-hmm. going after true representations, of, you know, and and people. And, and, and if we're going to do it, we're going to do it for hopefully, you know, some of the growers have been in the book for over 40 years now. Um, that's,
0: um, it's pretty amazing when you can mm-hmm. think about it. You know? And that is more than most marriages actually. So yeah, when you, when you say we're, we're marrying people, it's, we're talking old school talk like my parents generation. My parents were married for 51 years. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: um. It's, it's a true, so I, I love that. And, um, I love being alone in the middle of nowhere and, um, well, I don't love being alone,
0: but, uh, you know, I, 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 I do love. You enjoy yeah. solitude. You enjoy meditative moments of quiet.
1: I enjoy, you know, Burgundy's far away from the other regions, so from the <laughs> car, I, you know, I have my I have my podcast. I have my, But I just love that moment where you don't know, you've never tasted. You kind of trust what you're about to taste because, you know, we're not taking wild guesses here. They're kind of sort of curated, the guess, the guesses themselves and just that moment when the when the thief goes into the barrel, you pour the first wine in the glass, and you know it's either the beginning of uh, a long story or, um,
0: or, or a or, 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 slightly uncomfortable exit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have a friend like, call me at 6.05 in case the wine sucks. <laughs> it's like the, the bailout on the day, right? <laughs> Yeah,
1: but mostly by now we kind of know what we're stepping into.
0: Yeah, um, I have to figure people are like you have a network of people like you need to meet Paul or et cetera, So and so, you know, like you know.
1: Yeah, a lot of it's coming from other winemakers now, but um, you'd be amazed that. I mean, the I the commerce of wine has a bad rap, um, but you know the the. But true curating is really what we do. I mean, the passionate ones, we actually curate. And there's a vision, there's a taste, there's, a, there's some principles we want. Um, and um, I, I, think, I think it's noble, noble calling, you know. And I, I don't think the press does curate as well. I think they have to fill their newsletters or pages with a lot of "this is great." Um, otherwise, you know why? You know why? Why buy a subscri- uh, You know, one hundred and fifty bucks a subscription if uh, you're only going to learn about three domains every year. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I think it's a fascinating job, and it's a complicated job, and we get married, and we represent, and you know, of course, once. Something's famous um, is great, but it, you know it, it can be a long, long. It took us twenty years, or it took him twenty years, not us twenty years, for Fred Mounier and Chamois Musigny to become a a mega star. So yeah,
0: you know, I've it, once heard it takes at least ten years to become an overnight success, and <laughs> that's so true. So, um, is there anything right now? Um, cause you, you know, I love what you said and I just have to say it like, I, I, I want to go back to like, you know, your Becky Wasserman son and they go, yeah, okay. Go on the back and sweep up and stock shelves and I'll parade you out to, the, yeah, to the, exactly. you know, and then even when you came back to your mother's company, it was you like almost had an interview like, Hey, um, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: I, I mean the, uh, <laughs> the willingness to put in the work, is there a region now, like says you're expanding the portfolio, is there is there a region you're like we like we started with the uh, the Cote de Catalan, the Roussillon, is there a region yeah. like you're really excited about right now?
1: I don't have much, but I love Savoie wines. Um Mondeuse, I think, is an insanely beautiful red grape. Um I love the whites of the Roussillon, I do love the reds too. The Southwest is 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 the treasure trove of unusual, rare variety. I think the Southwest, if I had to pick one today, because it's both white and red, um, the variety is incredible, so it goes, you know, all the way from, for us, Jérancon, all the way to Fronton, so that whole, you know, bit of land that's just north of the Pyrenees Mountain until you reach, you know, the other side, which is not referred to as the Southwest. Kaur, um Malbec can be such um, beautiful very fresh uh, expression of red wine on Kimmerigian which is the same soil as Chablis so it's kind of a little confusing because you've got these red wines on white wine soil and they used to be black and tannic but now they're anything but um we work with a, a wonderful domain there um called Calmet um low sulfur I mean just beautiful farming. Jurançon which you know, it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's very similar to Chenin. It can be, it's super aggressive, acidic, almost tannic. It's, it's a wine with a huge amount of personality. Fronton, such values, crazy, biodynamic wines, um, and, you know, rare varieties for no money whatsoever. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm liking the Southwest a lot. Um, and I'm liking I mean, you know, there's no point talking about the Girois, even though of course it's magnificent. And um but also other I you know, price of wine's a problem, but it doesn't mean you you drink poorly for not a lot. I mean, everybody has, you know, Côte de Nuit envy in Burgundy, but honestly, the 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 young kids making incredible wines from not the young kids, the 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 newer domains, newer people, some often outsiders making wines from modest regions. They're hungry, and you see that hunger in the wines. Mm-hmm. Like the, a lot of the other wines, you know, they're from prestigious appellations, very very desirable, but they're comfortable and they taste
0: comfortable. Complacency so, is a word that comes to mind. Yeah,
1: they taste. Yeah, you know, they tick all the boxes, but I think. I believe I can taste hunger and energy in wine, and and you know this is not news. But when you see Olivier Lamy in Saint-Émilion, what he's doing is insane. Or Cyril Patay in Marseilles, or Chantreve, David Croix in Beaune, which is the most frowned upon. You know, Thomas Boulay in Vosne. I mean, we're just um, I. I, I I mean, Bertolt, I mean there's just this hunger in the modest appellations and I think it trumps the 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 greatness of the terroir. To me to 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 feel that energy that hunger in the wines um mm-hmm. is what I want. Um and it doesn't have to be a grand cru from the codeni honestly. And I'm not saying that
0: uh, you know No, I understand I mean, what you're saying you know. and I and I think people need to hear that because I think burgundy for so long um has seemed out of uh reach for people um you know for cost you know and uh it's good to know that there is a, a shift there the the, the times are a changing um for sure for sure so um let me ask you uh one last question before we wrap up um so you're you you mentioned you know your bass you love jazz bebop what what's what is your ultimate uh, wine and jazz combination oh wait well, hold on I'm gonna back up before you answer that what was the bottle of wine like you grew up around all this amazing wine but wh- what yeah. was a bottle of wine that just like knocked your socks off when you were younger that you were like Phew, this wine stuff is the truth. Did you have a wine like that?
1: I do. Like, so I, I drank so many wines and tasted so many wines, you know, it's not like we were, you were, we're drinking. I mean, we, you know. No, uh, I mean, no, you weren't,
0: was, you weren't chugging, uh, jugs of uh, yes, Calarasi, I mean, the, right? The,
1: the first wine I ever saw, and by seeing, I mean, that first wine, I actually decomposed like a professional tasters and started pulling apart elements, you know, um, was actually not a Burgundy. It was um, Kermit had um, this wonderful old negociant de Loire called Rene Loyot. And um, he was one of those old school craftsmen, you know, just incredible. My mom tells incredible stories about them. And I used to go as a kid and she, there were a few bottles she kept from the Kermit era and, um, that she was very emotional about. And I knew this was one of them. And they had this beautiful art deco label, like archaic, you know, from the twenties label. And it was an early seventies, um, Vouvray moelleux. And I, at some point my mom said, yeah, I'll go. She always sent me to the cellar to pick stuff out for customers. I must've been 14, 13, 15, something along those lines. And, um, I said, okay, it's time for this bottle. That she, um, mom's funny. They're 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 wines that she'll never let us touch. And you know, <laughs> for, for for some growers, it kind of accumulates. Like we're looking, we're staring at forty cases. We're like, mom, can we, can we? you know, <laughs> mom, come on, you just just relax. You've got you know five hundred bottles. We'll we'll do this. But this this one bottle of Uve she just. Didn't want to, you know. And finally, I knew it must have been the right moment. I said, "Can we drink this?" And it was. A, I, I remember it was a Sunday, and it was a lunch, and it was, some customer was there, and um, and we popped it. And it first of all, it wasn't well it was demi sec, so it was okay. off dry. Okay. You know, the label said otherwise, and um, that trinity of sugar, acidity, and Extracts just how clear it was, how brilliant it was, you know. And you could literally tell, every, I, you know, it's the first wine where I, was, I tasted as uh, as um, I think I finally re- realized I was actually tasting, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and some, some, somewhere in my teens, I forget exactly when, um, and that was it. That's when I started you know, seeing wine rather than just listening to people talk about it. And just, before that, it was a vague thing for me. Gotcha. It's gotcha. a muddled impression. I, I do want to mention one wine, though, because the greatest wine I ever had was, um, and, you know, maybe it's a good parting note because it was a Rudy bottle. And um, Rudy sometimes did great things that were really not commercial, and he he, he did a tasting of very old Bouchard's. Had the wine shipped in directly for, from Bouchard for um, a good part of them, so they were unquestionable. And there were four nineteenth-century wines in the tasting, and um, one of them was eighteen sixty-five Volnay Sauterne from Bouchard. And it was my I'd heard about pre-Phylloxera wines growing up because it was still a big subject of conversation back yep, then. Yep. and it lived up to everything I had ever dreamed about. That was probably the from past era. Um prefaloxal wines are gone or they're not alive or there are very few of them. Everybody claimed they were better because they were from ungrafted vines and got to it. I've you know I've I've seen three or four in my life that were just absolutely insane in that one. Wow. So in the middle of all his you know badness he was capable of
0: these rather insane moments. Wow, wow, wow! 1865 only. So um, that's inc- that's just that's ludicrous. That's just ludicrous. Um, so uh, if Paul Wasserman's having a, uh, uh, a, a, a a wine and jazz night, what what are you doing, man?
1: Wine and jazz. I like. I like burgundy with jazz. I mean, I, I, I listen to a lot of music. I listen to electronic music a lot. I listen to all kinds of music. But um, if we're going to talk, you know, acoustic jazz, you know, 60s, 50s, 40s, um, there's little doubt in my mind that is it's burgundy. Um, there's this bareness. There's this, um, um, you know, this acoustic it's not electric, you know. Electric power—you'd have to go somewhere else. And this kind of purity that goes with acoustic instruments—I'm um, very happy with the thought of red burgundy and, and 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 bebop, because at the same time, when they're young, they're not the most giving wines on the planet. They're—they've got a little hardness. They need to age. You need to know what you're doing. Um, at least. In the past years, that's changing. So I think bebop goes with Red Burgundy, without
0: doubt. Well, that might be the title, bebop. and. Bur- I had another title, but I, I don't know. Bebop and Burgundy now might, I don't know. The first one, I don't know. We'll think about it. Oh, my God. Oh, Paul. Oh, man. Thank you for doing this. Um, we, we connected last year, actually, in 2020. And uh, just glad we are able to do this. I, I hope that... Um, uh, when you come stateside, uh, we can actually drink a bottle or two or this is some bebop, Uh Or if I get over there, I, I did apply for the Becky Washington Scholarship, but I didn't really do a good job, so I didn't get selected. But if I come over there, man, I want to come hang out, uh, have, there were you, a hundred, have you take me around. I'm
1: so sorry. It was it – was, it was torturous please know this
0: no i believe it but like i like i literally could have sent in like my reel i was just like hey my name's marvin blah blah, blah blah i got a, I got a podcast <laughs> like I, I i could have said a whole thing you'd have been blown away <laughs> oh i'm such an underachiever
1: <laughs> it was torturous we had a hundred and it, it like taught us a lot about how to do this again um that's a no. great
0: program though, uh, uh, that, uh, that, that your family's doing there. Um, so, um, uh, but you're just so interesting. I love what I love about wine is like, like th- there's so many intelligent people who are in wine and just the stories and, you know, and, and you know, w- like we get together, it would have been a different conversation, but this was a great conversation. And like, like I said, we like to get outside of this and we could just go on rants and, talk about Diz and all that stuff you know but for right now um, tell people where they can find you and how they can be a part of what you're doing
1: well they can follow me or Becky Wasserman.co on Instagram Um, they certainly can seek out the wines um, around the country Um, that's about it Um, yeah I'm going to plug someone because she's an extension of the family her name's Icy Lou and if you're if um she works for us uh, part-time but she also has a podcast on the site it's called ungrafted
0: and we're gonna have and her on because she hooked us up I'm gonna have yes. her on yes and
1: she she focuses on all the the farming the technical aspects yeah. but in her in a really you know she's you know organic regenerative human aspect so if you want to delve deeper into that and it's not our producers but she is a part of the team, and she's a big force in in how we think and pushing us to do the right thing. So, that's a you know a good way to stay in touch with us and um, follow the winemakers, man. That's they're 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 interesting people. They don't necessarily fit the cookie cutter. Oh, this is natural. Oh, this is expensive Burgundy. There,
0: buy the wines, taste the wines. There it Eat. is. That's what it's about. Buy the wine. Taste wine. Buy wine. That's how you develop your palate. Thanks, Brian. Um, okay, everybody. Um, my God. Paul B. Wasserman, thank you so much for being a part of the Black Wine Guy Experience. You are definitely a friend of the show. We're going to have to come to you back in a, in a later episode, and, and it'll either be in studio here or in Burgundy. We'll get my ass over there, get on a plane, get it done. I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to go. Um, I got the first vaccine today. Oh, congratulations, man. That's Which awesome.
1: Is why I'm I'm actually slightly under
0: the weather. It did knock me out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the French version. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I just Had to do the Whatever. I'm American you gotta do the French joke. Okay, everybody. Just want to thank Paul B. Wasserman. Until the next time, here's to the uh, philosophers, the mavericks, the deep thinkers, and to all the wine drinkers. Cheers.
1: Cheers, guys and ladies and everyone. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.